we want to thank our sponsor, Success Beyond Game Day. For many athletes, the last safe place was the locker room. They could be themselves and not be judged. Success Beyond Game Day creates a locker room community for athlete development. Partnering with individual athletes, high schools, athletic departments, college and pro teams on building their brands, understanding name, image, and likeness, how to get deals, and personal finance, all while leveraging a proprietary assessment that identifies core skills that athletes can leverage to create a competitive advantage, all while creating an environment where athletes can connect to push each other to greatness. Check it out at www.successbeyondgameday.com. Welcome to NIL Undressed. I'm your host, Ryan Schachner, along with Cheney Robinson. Hello, hello. We are keeping our national champion streak going today, uh, but this time we're going to men's basketball. Cameron Mills is a Lexington, Kentucky native and a University of Kentucky basketball legacy. Cameron's freshman year, he walked on Coach Rick Pitino's 1994 squad. His goal was to simply wear the same number as his father, and uh, he was content with sitting on the bench. Coach Patino and Cameron's teammates, however, had bigger goals, and he ended his career as a two-time national champion and made the shot heard round the bluegrass. He's a husband, stepfather, vice president with LHC Group, public speaker, executive producer, and most Kentucky fans will recognize him as one, as the on-air host for Kentucky basketball. Cameron, welcome to NIL Undressed. Thanks, Ryan. Shane, I'd say thanks to you, but I can't stand you. So, <laughs> are you ready to represent Wildcat Nation? I am absolutely. Just, just in case anyone doesn't know, Chaney and I have known each other for fifteen years. If I don't know, that's Kentucky math. I mean, it makes probably more. Okay, well, you've got five PhDs, so I mean, you would know better than I do. So, anyway, so so if there's any needling here between me and Chaney, just know it comes from a place of absolute love and appreciation. So, Cameron, man, you you walk, you live the walk on dream, right? Played under two coaching legends, Rick Pitino, Tubby Smith. Played with absolute legends, Antoine Walker, Ryan Mercer, Nazir Muhammad, and others, and yeah. you ended up with two national championships. How did you end up at Kentucky? as a walk-on versus going to another school as a scholarship player. So I could have, and Chaney, uh, you and I, I've, I've egged you about this before because I believe one of your PhDs is from Georgia or one of your degrees, let's say, is from Georgia. Georgia one of, was yeah. one of, we have one of. I, I, Ch Chaney's got all kinds of degrees. They're all from SEC schools, so he is very devoted to the conference. Um, anyway, I, uh, I got recruited by a lot of mid-level, mid-majors, I guess you'd call them. Uh, coming out of high school, I had maybe three, four uh, high, what you know, big five conference schools. Um, the one that was recruiting me the hardest, and basically I was their number one um, option at the two guard coming into the 94-95 season. So I guess that would be the class, 94-95. Um, they were pretty push, pressuring me pretty hard because I was their number one. And um, preseason, I don't even know if they do it this way anymore, but, you know, you had a preseason signing period and a, and a meaning, a, you know, early signing period and a late signing period. And um, they were putting a lot of pressure on me to sign early season, which would, which was right before my senior year of high school. And so look, I, this is an sec school. I mean, am I ever going to win a national championship at Georgia? No. Was it ever my dream to play at Georgia? No. But when you've got an sec school um, coming after you, I mean, that's, 
that's not a small deal. I don't care. I don't care what SEC school it is. I don't care if it's Vanderbilt. Um, you just you you want to. I mean, you you can't turn down that opportunity. The problem is, is that my dream was not Georgia. My dream was Kentucky, and had been since you know I realized what it meant because you know I I grew up in the state. My dad played basketball for Kentucky for Coach Adolph Rupp back in the '60s, um, and that that was that was what I always dreamt of doing. The problem is Kentucky had zero interest in me whatsoever. That there was a short period of time in probably in between my junior year and senior year this, that summer, or maybe between my sophomore year and junior year. Um, where I was attending Rick Pitino's basketball camp. And um, he would, you know, he, Coach P would, he'd show up at his camp maybe once a week. Like he'd be there for Sunday when we'd start. And then um, he'd show up one other time. And, uh, but Coach Donovan, Billy Donovan, uh, was his assistant at the time, his head assistant. And he basically ran the camp. So Coach Donovan had seen me um, that week of camp and another player at camp by the name of Jason Williams, who went on to play for him at Marshall and then Florida and then had an amazing career in the NBA as white chocolate. And, um, I just, um, uh, the two of us were like the best two players in camp. And so they arranged coach, Pino literally flew in because coach Donovan had said to him, look, there's two guys at camp you need to watch. And, um, coach P flew in from, or came in wherever he was from, but made a special, appearance at camp just to watch an arranged game between Jason's team and my team. And both of us played well, but coach, you know, you know, basically told and coach Don was even honest enough to say, Hey, um, you know, coach P's coming in to watch you too. Uh, he may be interested in one of you. I, I think you both possibly could play here. Um, Jason obviously had, you know, ball handling, basically had every skill over me other than shooting. Um, but um, coach P came in, watched this play and we both had great games. We really did. Um, but coach, you know, at least in my case, I don't know what he said to Jason, but at least in my case, and coach, you know, is incredibly honest. He's, he, he doesn't, he has no problem hurting feelings. Um, and, um, so came up to me after the game and, and said, you know, I think you're obviously a great shooter. I just think you're, you're, there's no way you're quick enough to play here. And okay. So I, I just kind of assume, all right, well, I, I guess I, I could have, and maybe this is a lesson, but I could have just said, all right, well, then that, there's my chance. Instead, what I decided is, okay, well, I got to get quicker. I mean, if this is my dream, if this is what I do, I'm getting that kind of feedback from the head coach. I'm not quick enough to play here. Of course, he had other things like you're lousy at defense. You can't dribble. You can't pass. I mean, there are other issues in my game, according to him. <laughs> but basically, instead of taking that as a defeat, I took it as, a okay, well, then I have to fix those parts of my game. So when Georgia came and offered me that scholarship and wanted me to sign before my senior year of high school, my thinking was, well, wait a minute, I put in all of this work over the last year to try to improve these parts of my game. What if I had this incredible senior year and all of a sudden UK pops up and says, you know what, we're interested. And I've already signed with Georgia. I mean, this is back in the day when you didn't sign with a team and then get out of get out of the contract, right? You didn't you didn't go through, you didn't sign your scholarship deal, whatever it was, or your your um your in NL your national letter of intent, and then um, just break it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that. I'm sure it happened maybe once. I just don't remember it happening the way it seems to happen today. Um, and so I was worried about that. And so long story short, um, my dad who had had connections still with the program through Bill Kiley, who was the long-term equipment manager. Um, and even though he's quote unquote, only the equipment manager, he had been there so long. He literally had, I mean, he, he had almost as much power as the assistant coaches. I mean, he just like, if you wanted seats tickets to a game dad would call mr kiley like good seats because we had dad had season tickets um if, if you wanted to, if dad if dad wanted to bring family to come watch practice he'd call mr kiley so this is one of those deals where literally georgia wants me to sign on this particular day 
And I, I remember having breakfast with that. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, he goes, how about this? How about if I go down talk to Mr. Kiley and just see, because I, dad thought I raised a valid question. What if I have an amazing senior season and I, and I signed with Georgia and UK becomes interested in, and I'm stuck with Georgia. Um, and so he went down talked to Mr. Kiley and Mr. Kiley said, well, I don't know. Let's talk to coach Donovan. Coach Donovan comes down and between the three of them. Um, and I think coach Patino was involved at some point during this conversation and someone, and I, it's always fuzzy who came up with this idea. It wasn't dad. It would have been Mr. Kiley, coach Donovan or coach Patino. One of them basically said, look, if you want to play here that bad, why don't you walk on? And that didn't, that isn't something that anyone considered is even an option because this is back in the days when Kentucky, what, you know, coach had, we'd already been to a final four. I mean, after coach, you know, started resurrecting the program uh, from the death penalty to NCAA level to get us in the 89, uh, 88 uh, seasons. Um, and so he didn't have tryouts. He didn't have walk-on tryouts. He did his first year here because he literally only had eight scholarship players. But then once he got his scholarships back, which would have been 92, 93, he didn't, he didn't need walk-ons, which isn't to say he didn't have them. He just didn't need them. And so he brought that up. And I remember dad, you know, coming back to me, getting me out of class because I knew dad was going down there. So I, I'd been on pins and needles all morning and um, dad coming back and, and getting me out of class. I met him at the front um, up at the office of the high school of my high school. And he said, they want you to walk on. And honestly, all I heard was they want you. I mean, I, and I, I mean, I understood immediately the walk on part, but it was the mere fact that in any capacity UK would want me, I'm there. Like, and that's where, you know, as Cheney said um, in the introduction, as you said in the introduction, Ryan, um, uh, reading, reading Cheney's wonderful words um, that um, I, um, I, I didn't care. I, I didn't care if I sat the bench for four years. I didn't care is my dream was to play at Kentucky. Now, when I say play, I basically be, mean be on the team. That was my dream. Um, and wear dad's number. That's what I wanted to wear. I wanted to be the next Mills to play at Kentucky. Um, and, I, and I will. I'll, I'll never forget the moment that summer, the, the next summer, when right before my freshman year at UK started, because I was in Lexington, I started basically, I, I showed up on campus in June. Um, actually, maybe even May. Um, because I could get a leg up and I knew I needed a leg up because I mean, as you all mentioned, some of the guys I played with, um, you know, these are guys like Nazi Muhammad, as you mentioned, uh, he played 18 years in NBA. He's got the longest tenured NBA career of any Kentucky basketball player ever. Um, and then you've got tons of other guys that play. I mean, I, I, I played with about 10 guys in my four years at UK that had NBA careers of merit, meaning they're on pension through the NBA at this point. They didn't, they didn't yeah. have couple of 10 day contracts, even though I had some teammates that did that. But I remember showing up early right before my seat, my freshman year at UK, because I was going to go down to the weight room. I was going to get myself in shape. I was, I was going to get an early start on everything. And I remember walking into the locker room and they already had a plaque up. So everybody had a little cubicle or not a cubicle, but a little cubby there, which was your locker. And I remember walking in and there was a plaque up and, and they, they, it was really cool what they used to do. And they probably still do it to some degree, but what they had done is they had your picture now, I didn't have an official, I had, and this is my first day there, but they already had my locker um, with a picture of me from high school in this case. It eventually became a picture of me playing at UK, but a picture of me. And then right beside it, Cameron Mills, number 21, freshman. And then they had every person that had ever worn the number 21 down below. So it was like this legacy uh -huh. that you were, and they did that for all the players. And so <clears throat> it was this legacy that they carried on. Like, you're, you know, what you're, the number you're wearing, here are the guys that wore it in the past. And of course, it was going all the way back to the 40s and 30s, um, you know, most of who I'm, I, I didn't know. 
But I remember seeing, of course, uh, Jack Gibbons' name being on there, um, who was, um, I think, the most second most recent one. And then the next one below that was, I think, my dad. And so seeing Terry Mills on there in that moment, I was like, I, I'm here. I'm, I've arrived. I, I am a wildcat. I've lived my dream. And that was the weird thing. I hadn't even started my career, but yet I've lived my dream. That was my mindset. Yeah. So as you talk about, you know, you talk about this and thank you for sharing all that. Four years at Kentucky, right? Legitimate chance to have gone with a three-peat. Yeah. Oh, I mean, not even legitimate. I mean, we were a bad overtime and one, one player who I won't mention because he still didn't have a sense of humor about it. He hadn't gotten over the drama, but one player who missed six foul shots um, in the last, in, in the second half and overtime of that game. And if he makes three of those, we win and we're, and, and but the thing is Cheney is, is, you know how it works. It's if we had won in 97, would we have been able to win in 98? Right. You know, if we win in 97, does Coach Patino go to Boston and does Tubby Smith come in? Um, is our new coach. And so you never know. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we were very legit. We were a bad overtime away from potentially being a three-peat team, which I mean, we even started um, after, as we were making our run in the final four, which is, it's, it's so silly to even say this. It sounds so ridiculous to be this for, forward thinking, but we were already looking into getting shirts. We hadn't even won the 97 tournament yet, much less knew where we were going to, what we were going to do in 98. We were, but because we won in 96, we were making a, a, an incredible run in 97. I think it was when we got to the final four, we were like, you know what? We need to start looking into uh, the three P trademark, which of course is owned by a guy named Pat Riley, who though he is a former Kentucky player, probably wasn't going to give that up to us. <laughs> if we happened to want it or need it uh, without a pretty, pretty, pretty penny. Um, yeah. but chances of that meaning, meaning would we have paid for it? I probably would have, if we'd got it, but yeah, we were pretty close to doing that. So most athletes, most athletes, they, they just want to get to one national championship game, right? Let's, yeah. let's be honest. And you guys were there for sure. three of them. Yeah. Three in a row. Talk about, talk about your ex Kentucky experience and did it change you and your mindset? The championship as a, person, as a whole or just the whole, just experience? whole experience, you know, as, as an athlete, as Cameron Mills, oh. How did that influence you? So, um, number one, and, and I'll start with the bad things. Um, it made me, and, and it's funny to think back about this because I, I was, and Shane, you know this, um, I was always, I've always been very serious about my faith in Jesus. Um, it's what I do today. I'm in full-time Christian ministry. Um, I, the other jobs that you mentioned are all accurate. Um, but my, since I was 12 years old, I felt called to ministry. And so when I was at UK, I was very involved in the campus ministries, fellowship of Christian athletes in particular, um, as were two or three of my teammates. So I had a lot of good accountability on the team, um, in Jeff Shepard, um, whose son, uh, Reed Shepard's of course going to play for the cats this upcoming year, um, in, uh, Mark Pope, who is of course the head coach of BYU right now. So I had some guys that were very serious about their face as well. And so we had a lot of accountability, meaning, um, you know, I, I couldn't like when I was with, you know, like our language during practice. Right. Well, yeah. sadly, and I guess this is good on some level, but I would be careful about even in, you know, in an anger watching what I said, because Shep was in earsight, Mark was in earsight or, you know, or, or, or sound. And uh, they were the same way because we, you know, that's just how it happens. The problem is, is that when I started comparing the way we lived to the way teammates lived. And so one of the biggest things that happened to me that I didn't notice but the girl that I had dated for two years in high school and all four years at UK, we were as we were going through the death rolls of our of our uh, of our relationship towards the end of my my time at UK. 
um, she told me in one of in, in one of these breakup fights, um, and I mean this this cut right to the core. And she was true, and she was honest, and and I knew what she was saying was true, which is what hurt. She said, "You know, you you have become arrogant. You're not the same sweet, humble little Cameron I fell in love with in high school." And I knew that was true the moment she said it. It was like, but I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it before, but I knew it was true. And because I've been comparing myself to, you know, like guys like Antoine Walker, Antoine Walker, who is completely different today than he was then. And and and, and I need to say that because who he is today is the, the the antithesis of who he was back then. He was young. He was, you know, as all these guys do, they come in, they're highly recruited. They've got all of these expectations. They know they're going to be in the NBA um, and man, their, their, their cockiness and arrogance. I mean, it is beyond confidence. It is so beyond confidence. It's absurd. And Antoine was one of those guys. Um, and so when I compared myself to Antoine or, or even a lot of my teammates, I, Antoine's one that always sticks out the most though, is just part, just really being arrogant when he put, when he was a ball player or when he was uh, on the team, I was like, Oh no, I'm, I'm still the same sweet Cameron. And then, well, when you compare yourself to another human being, you know, especially a you know someone like Antoine, you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in the right. Well, that's not what you're supposed to do. You, you, in my case, and, and you compare yourself to Christ, and more importantly, you compare yourself to who you were yesterday. I mean, that that's, um, and that's when she said that I knew. Okay, you know what, this UK thing, even though I might, I might be the most humble guy on the team. <laughs> what, the, what difference does that matter if we're all a bunch of arrogant? you know, um, jerks. And, uh, we all were on some level. Um, and I had even become that, um, especially after the 97 season, because the 97 season, though it didn't result in the championship, that was, I mean, when people ask me, what's your favorite memory of UK or your favorite time at UK, I go back to that 97 season because that was the season I started to play significant minutes. I literally was the second or third Wayne Turner. And I have an argument over this that constantly goes on. Um, during the NCAA tournament, the SEC tournament, turn, during the postseason of '97, um, I was either the second or leading third leading score on the team. Um, I was in the NCAA tournament. Um, I was shooting 67 percent from the three point line. It, once we got to the Final Four, so we get to the Final Four, and I'm leading the NCAA in three point shooting to the point where Coach Patino, who was not one to hand out compliments freely, I mean, they don't. I got two, maybe three compliments from him in three years. Um, and two of them came backhanded. They weren't even in my, they weren't even to me. They were, I had to hear one of them was as he undressed another player. And that was this one where in the practice before the Arizona championship game in 97, uh, we were in a high school practicing. And for whatever reason, coach decided to let the high schoolers come in and, and watch as long as they, you know, kept their mouth shuts or kept their mouth shut. And so, um, um, I, I don't remember who it was, but whoever was guarding me, somebody penetrated and they left me. It wide open in the corner to go help. Well, it was strong side help. So it was a no, no, number one, number two. And, and this, and I don't know it sounds arrogant, but this is just, it's where I was. And the one thing I will continue to be arrogant about this day is my shooting. Um, and um, because I can't, I can't, I can't negate 67% from the three point line. I can't say, right. Oh, you know, I could have done better. I, I, don't, I don't think I could have, honestly, I don't think anyone could have. Um, but uh, anyway, they left me in the corner wide open. And of course, whoever was penetrating, uh, we had such amazing point guards on that 97 team and Anthony Epps and Wayne Turner, whoever it was, they hit me in the corner immediately. I drained a three, Coach Pino blew his whistle, berated the person who was guarding me. And, and, but in berating him, what he said was, how on earth do you think it's acceptable? Now, of course, the, the, there's some flowery words coming in here as well, <laughs> but how on earth do you think it's acceptable to, why would you leave the greatest shooter in the country at all? And I'm sitting there like, I'm just kind of, yeah, 
Yeah. Why would, why would you, man? <laughs> so, um, so I, I did, I got arrogant during my time. Um, and it, it, I guess it's all relative, but I, I knew that was true. So that, that's certainly, certainly a way that UK, um, my experience at UK hurt me. Now, you instantly get humbled once your career is over because even though there was a lot of attention because we won in 98 and Jeff Shepard out of Edwards, Nazi Muhammad, I went on an autograph tour, made, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, you know, still to this day, I, I got recognized at Walmart the uh, yesterday when I'm just picking up groceries. Some lady just recognized my face, which is funny because I look nothing like I did when I played. Um, and just, you know, wanted to talk. And and so that kind of stuff still happens, but it's it it pretty quickly, you know, starts to go downhill. Um, as far as you know, people still remember, but the fever pitch over who we were as we were players, it quits. And it's one of the reasons, you know, you see guys, whether it's a professional or college, man, when your career is over, yeah, you miss the competitiveness, you truly miss your teammates is one of the biggest things I don't think people realize you miss the camaraderie in the locker room is so amazing especially for guys who don't have like a, a, a family structure that they grew up in um because my I did I I my, my locker room before I got to sports so my locker room was my mom my dad my brother and eventually my two sisters um that was my first real locker room but then you go to UK or go to you play college sports even high school sports even in high school, my my lot, those were my brothers. And 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 people toss those words around a lot. And I, it's not that you don't have squabbles. It's not that you don't have fights with these people, but you, you know it is us against the world. And, and that's a big cliche, but that's that's so true. It's that's how you feel. It is what, what this locker room, this group of people, um, we we are brothers. And 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 I think honestly, because we were so serious about that at UK in the late 90s, I think that's what led to a lot of our success is that. And I can specifically point to 98 and say, we didn't, we didn't care who scored the most points. It was, not, it was not a single game that year, nor did we have a single player on that team who was like, I'm the leading scorer. I'm going to be the leading scorer. It was no, we didn't have a single guy like that. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that, because when you got Hishimu Evans, Nazi Muhammad, Jeff Shepard, Scott Padgett, um, even me one game. Um, and I say one game because there's one game where I was a leading scorer and was at a loss, but nonetheless, I was a leading scorer. So you don't, how do you scout for a team like that? Right. Right. Or you, you can, you can prepare for Jeff Shepard, who was our average leading scorer. But at any point we had guys that were capable of going off for 30 at any point. Um, and, um, it, 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 it didn't matter to us who went off for 30 as long as we won. Um, and so th that, that was one of the good things. Cause that's what you miss is that you miss, um, Man, just being around your teammates. That's why to this day, Jeff Shepard and I are probably closer today than we were when we played. Because we both, I mean, I've got two group texts on my phone. One's for the 96 team, one's for the 98 team. And the 97 guys were on one of either. Like there wasn't, I don't think there was anyone on the 97 team that wasn't either on the 96 or 98. So they're all included. So all my teammates are basically included in these text groups. And man, anytime it's somebody's birthday, anytime somebody makes the news, um, even in a negative way, like we'll reach out to them and say, hey, dude, are you okay? Everything okay? Um, you know, if it's positive, um, like the other day, for example, Frank Vogel, who wasn't even on our team, he was a manager for us. He was my roommate, but a manager, you know, it came out that he was going to be the next head coach for the, um, uh, for the heat or not the heat, the, um, the Suns, which I, I, I guess has happened. I, I mean, I, I don't watch the news a lot anymore. Somebody sent me that information. Um, and I immediately sent him a text saying, man, so this took way too long. You took way too much time off after the Lakers dismissed you after a world championship. Um, so, I mean, those are two, one way in negative, one way positive. 
Um, and then with what we're talking about today, my mind absolutely changed when it came to player compensation, um, players' rights, um, how the NCAA, even Kentucky, my beloved Kentucky, who I still is still my I still love the team. I love Coach Calipari, I love Mitch Barnhart. I mean, I genuinely like these people. Um, but my my attitude towards you know players being compensated for the amount of money they're bringing into in these institutions. I didn't even think about it when I played. It's all I think about now. I mean, it is all. When NIL became a thing, I was like, you know what? I, I mean, that to me, that was a no-brainer. I mean, you can make the argument, well, the kids are getting an education, which, I mean, you all want to get into that. We can talk about what kind of education we got. But, um, and that's no, no, no shot at the UK in and of itself as an institution. But, I mean, that was one thing that really changed is, is going through my career winning two national championships, going to three final fours. And when you go every, every tournament you win, every game you win the tournament, that's more money that's coming into the university, actually right, in right. case to the athletics department. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and you're sitting there like, okay, like, so let's, so let, let's say, for, let's take on average. Let's say we got a million dollars in 96 for winning it all. We got a million dollars in 98 for winning it all. Um, and then you think of all the money that the boosters poured into the program because of those championships. And all of a sudden you start to realize <clears throat> I'm getting three lectures a week. That's what I get. I get, I get talked to. Um, and some of them, not all of them, but some of those lectures, some of those classes were absolute jokes. I mean, just jokes. I mean, they're, 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 I mean, I, I have one, one professor who by just by chance, all the athletes were in his classes. If that didn't give you indication as to, and again, right. <laughs> I think he did was wrong. He didn't cheat for us. He didn't give us grades. But what he would do is he would lecture for 45 minutes. Then that was class. He would lecture. He would sit there and lecture. And we, we'd all just sit there. And some of us would sleep. Some of us would not. But the thing is, when he got to test taking time, he would give you the answers or the questions to the test the week before the test. Then under the answers that he would give you or under the te- under the questions, he would, give, he would give you the answers. And you literally, and I didn't believe this. I was told this by other teammates who had had this, this professor before. You literally could copy. You could, and it was open book, open note test. So you could bring his cheat sheet into the test. And all you had to do was literally copy his answer word for word down on your piece of paper, turn it in 100%. What is that? Right. So anyway. Um, yeah. it, it, but it's a, I know it's another topic. We'll get into it. But it's just one of those things where that's definitely something that changed in my, in my mindset of, I was thankful to be there my freshman year. By the time I'm a senior, I'm like, okay, I am taking full advantage of this championship. I'm going out and I'm making money off my name because this institution has not allowed me to do that. They've made money off my name, um, but they've not allowed me to. And so I'm going to take full advantage of that now. Yeah, that's great. Sorry, I know that's a long answer, but. No, that it was great. It was great. Um, so I had a question pop up uh, as you were explaining all that, right? Because you you're highly you I mean you're the number one recruit for your position at Georgia right and which when you're the number one recruit or you're a scholarship player you, you very clearly you get treated differently than a walk on uh at at uh, a university how how did your experience as a walk on which is not as easy as a road as as the number one yeah. You you lived a different road than than Antoine Walker and Ron Mercer as a walk on. So how is that experience uh, and and volunteering for that 
Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did, how, what are some things that changed well, you uh, through that experience? So in, in the sense of, so number one, and it, it's actually, Ryan, I'm glad you brought that up because it's one thing that I noticed when I went on my official visit to Georgia, one of the things I did as a part of my official visit is I, the teams were playing pickup game, the, the Georgia basketball team. And so I went and I watched them play, right? That was part of it. I met the guys. Um, it's funny remembering back how little time the guys had for me. Like they'd come, you know, again, just arrogant college players. They didn't care about the next generation. The, the next the, the next group coming in were threats to take their time. And that's that's uh-huh. still that's still a huge deal. Today. To me, that's one, that's why the the uh the player portal, you see so much turnover because kids are getting recruited over. Um, but the point is that's that's the coach's job is to recruit the, the best they can get. And if a kid thinks, well, this kid's going to get all the time, whether they think it's because the coach is going to give them the time or they're going to earn it, I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm going to play. So I, I think that's one of the things. But I, what I witnessed at Georgia watching the um, uh, the pickup games is like the walk-ons. They had three walk-ons. I mean, I w- they were treated worse than I was. And I wasn't treated bad. But I mean, they were literally like literally they were they were they had played four maybe three or four games and they were getting up the next one. And, you know, you know, it is when you play pickup ball, you got, you know, you got losing team goes away and whoever's sitting out. Right. They get to pick. OK, I got you two from the losing team. We got three guys over here. And now we got our five. Right. The walk ons never were allowed to be a part of even the next group like they were. And literally, I heard it said over and over again. No, 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 no. They're, they're just walk ons. They don't play. And I, I remember thinking dang, really? I mean, they're on the team, um, but the scholarship players had no time for them whatsoever. That was not what I experienced at Kentucky. Um, now, I was, Coach Patino called it a preferred walk-on. I, I don't I don't know if it's a term he made up or not, but what it meant was I didn't have to try out. The only difference between me and, say, Tony Delp was that my parents had to pay for my education, my room and board, and my, um, um, well, my room and board, I guess, would include meals and my books. So, but the team itself treated me like a player. I mean, now I still got hazed freshman year. Um, I've still got, I've got great stories of things that were done to me that probably would be um, illegal today. Uh, probably were illegal then, uh, to be honest, but nobody was going to say anything. And I didn't say anything because I thought, okay, man, this is just, this is part of it. Um, and, um, but I didn't have that experience um, at UK. My experience at UK was I spent two years as a walk-on. Um, I, the only different, really, literally, they, I, I was never called a walk on by my teammates. I was never treated as anything less than a scholarship player by my teammates. I traveled to every game. I would dress for every game. Um, I, I, I was, I wasn't treated like a walk on at all. It, it, the only difference was behind the scenes. My dad was having to write a check to the university, um, every semester, every quarter, however it worked. Um, and then my junior year, Coach Patino surprises me with scholarship. And then Tubby renews it for my senior year. So I was only a walk-on two years. And then, so I've got the experience of knowing what it's like to be a walk-on and knowing what it's like to be a scholarship player. Um, and as far as how it changed, that changed me or my experience with that, I don't know that there was much difference because I was, ex- I mean, I was thrilled it, to, to me personally, being able to say that I had earned a scholarship at UK. I mean, you see the, the man, it, it brings tears to my eyes these days when you see, you know, it typically happens at a football team, right? When a coach yeah. awards a walk-on in front of the whole team, awards a walk-on a scholarship. I mean, the team erupts, the kids in tears. And I mean, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, I mean, this is one of the coolest things you can see. Coach Patino, again, being Coach Patino. And by the way, I, I'm gonna make it clear. I adore Rick Pitino. I, I he he trans transformed and changed my life. Um, 
I hated him at the time, but I love him now. I love what he gave me when I played ball there. But the way he, he didn't do that, he, he wasn't about pop and circumstance a lot. It wasn't a, I, I literally found out I was going to be put on scholarship. One of the assistant coaches called me into their, into their office and said, by the way, coach wants to let you know you're being put on scholarship next season. And that was it. I mean, they, they, they weren't even, they didn't even sound excited about it. I mean, they weren't even like, <laughs> guess what? Oh, you're not going to believe this. It was like, oh, it was like they were on the phone, probably talking to a recruit. I can, oh, yeah, get out. Have a seat. Um, can you hang on? Yeah. Uh, uh, coach putting you on scholarship next year. All right. See you later. I mean, that's literally what it was like. Um, whereas I've, I've literally got in my car and I started crying because I'm like, because that wasn't even, that was never talked about. That was never expected. That coach, coach never alluded to the fact that, Hey, maybe this next year, like it was just out of the clear blue. And the phone call that I got to make to my mom and dad for two reasons. Number one, because it started say it saved them some money now. Right. But more importantly to me, it was that I'm now like I'm. I've earned a scholarship at Kentucky, right? Like what I turned down at Georgia, I've earned at Kentucky now. It was also stated to me that the reason I got that scholarship was that, well, we just had one lying around is basically what was said. I'm like, <laughs> again, could we like, like, it's like, I, I know we have a marketing department at UK, but I feel like the coaching staff could have used some marketing and PR help. Um, but, but even, but the thing is, when I thought about, it, I'm like, wait a minute, this is a, a scholarship at the University of Kentucky. These things aren't just lying around, Right. I mean, if Coach Patino wants to go find a kid that's better than me, presumably according to him, and get that scholarship to, there are hundreds of thousands of kids that would jump at that offer. So even though I think it was put to me that way, just as again, because that's kind of how coach coaches. It is a break you down, belittle you, um, take take your greatest insecurities and shine the world's brightest spotlight on them and then build you up to what he wants you to be as a player. And what that ultimately comes is a physically and mentally tough individual who is able to be coached. And that probably overall is the biggest thing I learned from him. The biggest lesson I learned at UK was how to be coachable in every aspect of life. Um, my least favorite phrase in the world is um, uh, constructive criticism. I hate that phrase because all criticism can be constructive depending on how I take it. You can mean it to hurt my feelings. You can say it to crush me. But if I'm actually listening to the words being said and not how they're being said, there might be some truth in there that I need to apply to my life to change my life. It's like that my, my girlfriend in college who said, you're not the same sweet camera. Did I want to hear that? No. Did I expect to hear that? No. But the moment she said it, I'm like, dang, that's truth. And I better change some things about my life. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it, and your your attitude and, and your perception and how you receive it is ultimately what it what it comes that's, down to. That's all it comes down to. I mean, it, yeah. it, I, I hate the attitude people have sometimes of like, you know, when they take that, well, I'm not listening to you because you better learn how to talk to me. That is that's such childishness. I mean, and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not, I'm, not, I'm I don't I don't mean like, OK, in an abusive relationship. Right. I mean, when somebody in anger says something to you and you're like, I'm tuning you out because you, until you could talk to me like an adult, I'm not listening to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe they need to learn. They need to learn better communication uh, um, tools, but here's the thing. I can't change them. I'm only capable of changing me. And so no matter what's said, how it's said, or who says it, 
I better be looking for the truth and be honest with myself and self-aware enough to say, man, that bites, that hurts, but I know there's some truth in that. And I, and, and now I need to change. I better change. I, I, I've got to do something about this in my life because I'm failing. I mean, first and foremost, many, most of the time in situations like this, I'm failing Christ. I'm not being holy as he is holy. I'm not, I'm not living the life he would want me to live. Um, and number two, I mean, I'm just not being the best person I can be, which I think is what we all say we want to do. Well, if you want to do that, then that means I don't care how you're 88 years old. You have to be coachable. There's still things you have to listen and learn, learn from and change. Yeah.